I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to another episode of WA Expose, a podcast about local arts by local artists. As always, I'm your host, Aria Scarlett, with the immense privilege of recording this podcast on Wajak Noongar Budja. Representing the spirit of circus, today's guest is the go-to figurehead of Perth's trickster scene. Finding refuge in the theatre, her love of the circus was cemented as she quickly took on stages nationally and internationally. Returning to Australia and cementing one of WA's most recognisable circus brands may have not initially been on the cards, but their bevy of awards dating back to 2013 and the incredible sea of alumni would tell you that this is where she's meant to be. This iconic circus company is bringing two shows to this year's Fringe World and their co-founder, director, choreographer and high gravity defying fire, oh gosh what a mouthful that is, is our guest today on our Fringe World 2023 Blitz. Of course I'm talking about Connecticut and Beck, how are you, Beck? I'm good. Um, thanks so much for having me today. Of course, this is um, this is incredible. I have so much love and respect for Connecticut, and I like just so I'm very excited. I fangirled a little bit when I initially <laughs> knew that we were doing this interview, and I'm excited to fangirl for like the next hour. Let's dive right into it. For you, why circus? I guess I came to circus um in a very accidental way. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a child, I was very unfit. I was the, always the last person picked on every sporting team. <laughs> I didn't do gymnastics. I didn't do dance. Um, and so it was a very unexpected choice for me to become a professional circus artist. Um, I did always love the arts. And so th- the way that it happened was that I took a gap year. I was very academic and I just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And so I took a gap year and I started working at Southern Edge Arts in Albany mm-hmm. And it was there that I met a bunch of circus people, very circus enthusiastic people. Through the needs of the company, um, I started coaching circus because I was the only person there who wasn't at school and they (laughs) needed someone to go to schools to teach circus. And eventually the circus coaches said, look, you're coaching circus and you're actually pretty good at it. You should probably be in the circus. Wait, so you're coaching circus without having like, you're not technically a circus person at this stage. I'm doing inverted commas for everyone who can't say that. Yes. Yes. I wasn't a circus person. The only mildly circus related thing that I did was as a child, I was really attracted to doing yoga. And so I literally just had a whole bunch of yoga books that my mother had from the seventies. And on the weekends, I just worked through doing the different exercises in the books. And so I was moderately flexible when I first started, but I didn't know circus at all. So I had to go, okay, I'm teaching circus to kids at schools. I'm going to have to go and learn how to juggle three balls and I'm going to have to go and learn how to do forward rolls and yeah, jump a, on a yeah. mini tramp. And then surprisingly, I wasn't as bad at it as what I thought I was going to be. Mm. And that was revolutionary to me because I just had this image of 
myself as being someone who couldn't do anything like that. Ah, yeah. And like you sort of, as a teacher, you sort of go, okay, well, as long as I'm just one lesson in front of the people that I'm teaching, everything's going to be okay. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I guess that's part of how I came to found Connecticut Circus is that from when I first started Circus, I was always involved with the teaching aspect Mm. as well. And so that's always been a part of my circus experience. And so now it's become, become my career as well. That's really exciting. Um, so did you then like go back and cement some training for yourself as well? And what was that process like? Definitely. So I started attending the circus classes. I remember trying aerials for the first time and it was on a trapeze that was about a metre off the ground. Yeah. And I just kind of sat on it and tried to do knee hang. And I remember it being the most difficult and painful thing that I'd ever tried. Oh my God. Can you sort of just describe like what knee hang would look like for someone who doesn't know the terminology? It's where you have the bar hooked under your knees and you just hang upside down. So okay, so really just a very like stationary. <laughs> it's a very yeah. stationary. It's probably the most basic thing you can do in circus. <laughs> and yet it was the hardest and most painful thing I had ever tried. Right, yeah. Um, and But I could see myself making these small improvements mm. and that really um, got me addicted to circus. Yeah. It is a little bit of an adrenaline, adrenaline rush as well. So that's something that I think that I'd never explored in my life before and it was quite exciting. So I just wanted to push it and see how far I could take it. But I was lucky enough to fairly early on meet some professional circus coaches who saw a little bit of talent in me Mm. and they could see that I was completely untrained, but they could also see that I was quite a creative person and I was already trying to come up with my own routines and my own (laughs) tricks. And so they just knew that I needed a little bit of guidance. I love that. I love the idea of being like, I don't know how to do any of the tricks yet, but you know what? I've created this whole routine. (laughs) That's so good. That's pretty much what happened. Uh, So one of the trainers who came down to work with us in Albany, we were doing a workshop on aerial dance. Mm. And in that workshop, I made up a bunch of tricks just going like, oh, what if we did this? And what if we did that? Yeah. And I ended up getting chosen to be the person who performed at the end of workshop showing ah. and and that was really surprising because I'd never seen myself as being someone who could perform mm. and so it took other people going actually you know you could be pretty good and you could be a performer um, and kind of having that that faith in me that it, it took that for me to be able to take the leap onto the stage and just to see myself as someone who at the time I didn't have anywhere near professional circus skills Mm. but just to kind of see it as being something that if I put my mind to it I could pursue as a career. Going back a little bit you already had sort of cemented yourself as quite a theatrical person. Yes definitely so as a as a as a child uh, because I wasn't very sporty I took a little bit of refuge in the uh, youth theatre scene Mm -hmm. and so as a child I was involved in youth theatre kind of the whole of my kind of primary school and high school life. And I did love being on stage. Um, I definitely was somebody who was naturally quite shy and introverted. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I went on stage, I'd suddenly be upstaging everybody. And <laughs> and I was always quite comedic as well. So I had a bit of a natural clown in me. I knew when I was doing that, that I definitely wasn't destined to be an actor. 
I definitely was Drama's not for me. I was like, drama's not for me. I love this. I love being on stage. Yeah. I love the whole process of creating a show and even the, the costuming, the set design, the lighting design. I loved all aspects of it, but I knew that I definitely wasn't destined to be an actor. And so it wasn't until I found Circus that everything came together. And I was mm. like, oh, this is what I'm meant to be performing. It's so good. I love that too, with the idea of just being like, I love this, I love this, I love this, I love this. Um, doing the Shakespearean monologue though, Mm-mm, not for me. Yeah, <laughs> just not, not for me. Work not out. for me. Not yep. in this setting. Um, so after your gap year, what was your next step? So you know that you've got like this foundation, this like training that you're starting to build. Where do you go from there? So at the time, since this is twenty years ago, um, at the time there wasn't much of a circus scene in Perth. Yes, that's what I was hoping to touch on because it really seemed to be quite barren. Yeah, even that you were able to find something in Albany seems like a little bit of a, a chosen light in the moment. Yeah, exactly. It needs to be said that. When I was training in Albany, we were training in a shed um, <laughs> that was in the kind of Albany showgrounds that mm. was leaky and had big holes in the wall. Yeah. So that was our training space. Um, luckily now, Southern Edge Arts has got a, a massive, beautiful, purpose-built space. Oh, and so yeah. Circus there has now really grown and and is, is really professional and really good. Um, but at the time, there wasn't much happening in Perth. And so I moved to the Gold Coast mm. since at the time there were quite a few circus companies that were sprouting up on the Gold Coast and there were really professional circus trainers who you could work with on the Gold Coast. And so that's why I went there and started working with um, uh, Trick Circus, so they're still around, um, to learn how to do the specific aerial acts that I was most interested in, mm-hmm. which were the ones that were the most dance-related and the most contortion-related because they were my two kind of main skills. Yeah. So just to, like, give me a rough overview as somebody who, like, my expertise is in opera, so a lot of the terminology is just something that's going to go way over my little head. <laughs> um, what's the, like, difference in the different styles of aerial? So you're saying, like, there's a dance, there's a contortion style, there's, like, these different, uh, I'm going to call them subgenres that you can fall into? Yes, definitely. So I think that in circus, unlike something like gymnastics, you don't need to be good at everything. Mm. You... Find your niche and then you push that niche to the max. Mm. And so within circus, the the kind of like broadest categories are aerials, Mm -hmm. um, ground acrobatics and object manipulation. Oh, I hadn't heard that term before. So that's things like juggling and like poi juggling and stuff. Like juggling and poi and plate spinning and amazing anything yeah. to, like hula hoops, things like that. And so within aerials, you have vertical apparatus, which is things like ropes and silks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have apparatus that are kind of more on a bar, like a trapeze or an aerial hoop. Um, and then within that, there's so many different styles. So you could be going towards the acts which need a lot of strength and dynamic mm-hmm. movements. Yep. So traditionally, that's something like aerial straps because aerial straps mm. has its roots in the gymnastics aerial uh, rings act. Yep. Um, although in contemporary circus, we mix it up. So my first professional circus act that I developed was actually an aerial straps act, but it was using that apparatus as a contortion apparatus. Oh, cool. Yes. Okay. So these are like taking the foundation of traditional circus and then moving them into a more contemporary way. Exactly. Yes. And you've got your, you've got like training in traditional circus as well. Yes. So early on in my training, I started training with 
some performers who worked in a traditional circus. And so when they were looking for more acts for their show, they they asked me if I would perform with them. And I just thought that it would be an epic circus experience. Yeah. Um, and I'm so glad that I did that. So I, I worked for a traditional circus for about a year. And I'm so glad that I did that. I think that everyone who does circus should have an experience of that mm. because you see the roots of the circus and and how hard everybody works in traditional yeah. circus. Since I feel like in contemporary circus, performers can sometimes feel like they're above traditional circus performers. Oh, interesting. Okay. That, um, and and there's might maybe like a little bit of embarrassment about traditional circus. Some of the things that they do, they might think is a little bit naff. Mm-hmm. But when you are actually working in the traditional circus, you see how the acts are passed down through generations, through families, how mm. it's actually a very traditional um, thing. And you also see how hard they work and how clever they are and how they they work through all aspects of the business. So it's an amazing experience to be able to do that. That's really interesting. I'd never heard of this um, almost sort of elitist behaviour that existed between like traditional and more contemporary circuses before. What are the sort of things that people come up against? Is it like just the traditional structure of that circus or is there like a problematic history that people are grappling with in 2022? Like what are people fighting against? I think definitely there is a bit of a problematic history. Mm. So definitely traditional circuses have a history of animal abuse. Yeah. And so that's something that contemporary circus performers would like to distance themselves yeah, from. okay, understood. But traditional circuses, a lot of them have been working to change that. Mm. So you won't find a traditional circus these days. Definitely has been changing over the last 20 years. In circus, going back to when it first started, there was definitely abuse of performers. Mm, yeah. So if you read the history, so last year a big movie was The Greatest Showman. Yeah. And if you read the history of circuses like the Ringling Brothers Circus. Yeah. And I can it get really worked quite up abusive. God, I could get so worked up about PT Barnum because he just wasn't a good person. And that movie yes. to me really like whitewashes is like a very, very interesting term, but it really does whitewash what he did as a person. Like as a person, he was a horrible, horrible man. <laughs> exactly. He was a horrible, horrible man and he was very exploitative of his performers mm-hmm. and there was a lot of problems with that. And so I think that contemporary circus performers would like to distance themselves from that. Yeah. Um, although we can't kind of deny that that's the history of circus either. Yeah, you've got yeah. to put both in. And I can really appreciate that as like having a classical music background. Like classical music is like incredibly problematic at its root. Like it's very misogynistic, very obviously racist. Like there's a lot of historical things in classical music that we have to be like, we acknowledge that this happened and we're going to make a better time for it. But the idea of just exactly. being like, I'm just going to distance myself and pretend it never existed is like that's, in itself can be problematic. Exactly. I think the best thing is that we acknowledge it. We say, you know, the more you know, we've learned from this. Mm, we want to make totally. sure that that doesn't happen again. And we want to be treating our performers with respect. We want to be um, paying them correctly. <laughs> yes, all <laughs> that good stuff. Exactly. We want to be inclusive of um, different races, different genders. Mm. And we want to be moving on from what happened in the past. Yeah, completely. Um, So after your year in this like sort of intensive school program, basically learning alongside this incredible traditional circus, where did you go next? What was like your mindset next? So again, it was just kind of fate taking its course. Um, 
a company that I had worked with in Perth called Skirata, they were looking for somebody to teach their dancers circus. So at the time, they were a contemporary circus company, uh, contemporary dance company, sorry, ah. in Perth, but they were very interested in extremeness. So they wanted to be able to take their dancers from the floor into the air, but they realised that they needed someone who was circus trained to be able to teach that. Oh, good. <laughs> yes. And that's what brought you back west? Is like Yes. Yeah. So that brought me back west. And what kept me west was that once I started working with them, particularly because of my fondness for doing very dancey, contortion, contortionistic acts, I realised that I didn't need to learn how to dance. Interesting. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So the dance was already built into the, what you were already doing. It wasn't something you had to go and like train another eight hours on top of what you were already doing. Yes. So so with Skadada, because it was a dance company, mm. then that gave me the opportunity of learning dance. And I knew that that was the missing element in my performance. Mm. And so it was it was quite a benefit beneficial collaboration whereby I could teach circus, they could teach me dance, and then together we created this new thing which was somewhere in between circus and dance. <laughs> circus dance. Yes, circus <laughs> dance. Um, so Skidata, I believe, dissolved around the 2013 mark, maybe a bit before that? Yes. So the directors of Skidata, they got the opportunity to move to Canada to do Ooh. some research there. And so... And and everybody understands that working in the arts is incredibly tough. So oh my god, yeah. They had spent decades applying for grants and mm. getting shows off the ground and self-producing shows, and they just reached a stage in their life where they kind of needed to take a break from that and fill their own artistic well a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, completely. And so they made the really tough decision to to basically dissolve the company. Uh, the problem with that was that it left performers like myself in Perth with nothing to do. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yes. And another performer who was in that situation was Sarah Ritchie, who we met through Skadada. We started training together, doing a lot of duo acts. So mm. we do duo aerial hoop, we did duo straps, duo silks. And so being two of the most senior performers in Skadada, when the company dissolved, we were like, if anyone is going to create something new, it's going to have to be us. Yeah. And there was a pool of students who were like ready and willing to yes. go to the next place too. Exactly. So we had a pool of professional performers yeah. and a pool of students. And so we were like, we can't just let this, everything that we've worked towards just die off. Mm -hmm. We've got to create something ourselves. And so that's how Connecticut was started. And why the name Connecticut at that moment? At the time, I was studying physio. So I am also a physiotherapist. Yes, that's awesome. Drawing on it being kinetic and movement related. Mm, okay. But we, we wanted something that sounded dynamic. And so that's how <laughs> the name came about. That's awesome. So from there, it's like your newly formed partnership with Sarah, who's also an incredible performer in their own right. Um, yes. What's the next step? Do you go immediately into creating these huge productions that Connecticut is now known for? Or do you start on a smaller scale just with teaching? Initially... It was very tough for us. Um, we did start with teaching. Uh, we were mostly teaching youth mm. at the time because we just had this idea that 
only youth were interested in doing circus, which we were absolutely wrong about. Yeah. Completely wrong about. Yeah, but the data at the time, as you were saying, like you had this experience where it was hard for you to find anywhere to train in Western Australia at all. Exactly. Let alone in Perth, yeah. Exactly. And so we thought that a natural thing was to start with youth circus classes. Mm -hmm. And from there, we actually had a lot of adults contact us and say, hey, we see you're doing youth circus classes. Do you do anything for adults? How dare you? I want to come too. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and a lot of parents, the parents of the adults say, oh, you know, but what about adults? And so we started one adult circus class and then that became really popular. Mm. That became really popular. And so we were like, wow, maybe it's actually adults who want to learn circus. Maybe we were wrong about this. Or, you know, really it's for everybody. But but we started to change our perspective on, on who our market really was. Mm. Um, but as I said, it was a really tough time for us and the company was losing a lot of money. Yep. We were losing heaps of money and Connecticut is a not-for-profit company and so we um, were at the stage where we had less than $1,000 in our bank account, which as yeah. a not-for-profit profit company, it does mean that you are technically supposed to wind up. Mm. And and so we, we, were, we were kind of devastated about that. But we had the harebrained idea that we could save the company by doing a show. What? Oh, my God. So to any producer, the reason that I've sort of gotten stumped here is because any producer will tell you that shows are so ridiculously expensive and like such a trial and such a gamble all in of itself. So the idea that you guys were like, all right, we're going to save it by doing the most risky thing possible. <laughs> Literally, we were like, we've got nothing to lose. We were yeah, like, we've got nothing yeah, to lose. But, but we knew that we had the talent. So we were like, mm. we know we have the talent, we have the circus equipment, um, but we felt like we had nothing to lose. So we so we had heard about Fringe World. Yeah. We had seen that that was starting and we thought, you know, we'll just basically put all the work into it ourselves for free. Yeah. And we'll just see what happens. So that, that was our first Fringe World show in 2012. Um, which was called Le Petit Cabaret, which was because <laughs> a lot of the performers we had at that time were teenagers. Yeah. Considering that the cast was mostly teenagers, it was a very, very good show. Yeah. Well, Award-winning by the looks of it too, yeah? Exactly. We, we won awards and we only did five nights, but we sold out most of the nights and it was in the Deeperel Spiegel tent. And from that show, we ended up making $10,000 of profit. Wow. And so we used that money to relaunch the company. That's incredible. And that's how kind of Connecticut got saved. Um, And then from there, we then thought, let's do shows every year. Mm. And it's just grown and built from there. Oh, why not? It's it's what saved you, of course. Like that would be the obvious thing would be to keep playing in the fringe world space. Exactly. And for our performers, it's so important to have something to work towards. Mm, Completely. And... It's very, very hard to put on circus shows in Perth just because of the actual rigging. So we, we do a lot of aerial acts. There's mm. not many venues in Perth where you can rig aerials. There's definitely a lot more now than mm-hmm. there was in 2012. But um, at the time, really, unless we had a circus tent or a Spiegel tent, we yeah. couldn't really perform. So Fringe World was a great avenue for us. Yeah, and it's on Fringe World that we're going to go to our break and then I want to do a deep dive into the comparison between what you were bringing to Fringe World way back in 2012 and what you're about to bring to Fringe World this year, 2023. Yes. Queer. 
far, wherever you are, your perfect late night offering of glamorously gay song is here. In a Fringe World premiere event, the Queer Piano Bar is here to delight and captivate in a genre-blending masterclass of song, accompanied by premiere Perth piano talent Gavin Nicolette. For four nights only this February, you can get your tickets through the Fringe World app or website. Sing the night away with a glamorous lineup of award-winning and critically acclaimed vocal talent from the best the festival has to offer. And we are back. I am still joined by the incredible Beck of Connecticut. And before we threw to break, I did promise that we would look at the then and now of it all with Connecticut. Um, so in 2013, is that you guys won the Spirit of Fringe Award? Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So with, which production was that? With, that was with Connecticut, the t- self-titled show Connecticut. Yes. So we decided to do a self-titled show Connecticut. And at the time when we... I'm sure a lot of producers can relate to this. We had no idea what the show was about. (laughs) (laughs) But it's about us, so here we go. (laughs) Exactly. So that's how it got called Connecticut. Um, But the show was actually about um, mental health. Ah. And it was was also about medical gaslighting. So it was actually about two quite heavy topics. Yeah, incredibly heavy topics. um, Which was a little bit of the place I was going through at the time. Mm. but at that time, we still had a cast that was quite a few teenagers, mm. but some of the teenagers had moved into adulthood. And so <laughs> that's why we were addressing a little bit of a, a heavier topic. Um, but yes, that show, it was, a, you know, very low budget, yep. very, very low budget. <laughs> um all the, the kind of costuming, everything was very low budget, kind of things that I'd bought myself at Spotlight. Yep, love it. Um, and I guess that's how we won Spirit of the Fringe because it was bringing together a an unlikely cast mm. um, with a very heavy topic and a very low budget and yet making it work and making a show that was amazing. Um, one of the highlights of that show was that it w- we were performing in a tent that was um, on top of the Rose Street car park mm. and it had only just come to the kind of organised attention that putting a tent on top of a car park has a few problems because... Well, I was just... The Rosary car park is <laughs> the most angled thing as well. Exactly, exactly. So the the stage was angled and in the middle of the stage was a drain. Okay. And, and the stage surface was AstroTurf yes. as well. Oh, my God. And because you can't put tent pegs into a car... Car park. Oh, can you not? <laughs> is that not something you can do? It's not right. something you can do. They they had to use big water tanks as ballast, oh and so God. they were leaking, and so the whole stage was wet. It was all moving into a drain. There were people trying to do contortion yeah. on astroturf. Everyone's slide. All the chairs are just sliding, sliding around. Yeah, people doing backflips and going. Please try and avoid the drain. Oh my God! <laughs> and so. We were very glad to um, level up in terms of <laughs> the size of our venue and the types of venue that we were we were playing. Um, yeah, I was just thinking um, this really set a, set a precedent for Connecticut too. You guys have never shied away from touching on heavy topics. Can you talk a little bit on that? Definitely. So I guess at Connecticut we develop shows based on what the performers are interested in. Mm. And so we start off – doing kind of a consultation process with the performers and finding out what is most relevant to them at that time. And then from that, we'll work it into shows. Um, Probably some of the heavier topics have come from me. So, (laughs) for example, we did the show Syncope. Mm. 
in 2017, 2018, and that was themed around fainting, which is what a syncope is, mm. and the human body and how the human body works and the human connection. And so that was probably something that I was mostly interested in. But everybody went on the journey with me. Yeah. It's a quite an exciting thing that contemporary circus does offer us too, whereas like traditional circus may have the structure of being like just a fun day out for the whole family. In contemporary circus, we go like, okay, well, considering we can move our bodies in all these fantastic ways, why not use that to tell a more poignant story, which I think is one of the things that Connecticut does so well. And I mean, I was personally privileged enough to be at Confetti uh, not too long ago, which is a 10-year celebration of Connecticut, Yay. which is so exciting. Um, and it was so lovely to see a snippet from the years of just all of these different topics that you've handled. It's very cool. Yes, yes. It was, it was, it was quite nice to be able to see an overview of everything that we'd done. Um, I guess another kind of major theme in our works has been an exploration of um, – I guess issues that have come up with some of our performers from being gay. Mm. And so that's something that we've explored in our shows because, as I said, it was relevant to the performers at the time. And so we didn't want to shy away from that. Totally, yeah. And and so in a lot of our shows, so, for example, Caged, which is one of our shows that we've done in more recent years, there was Carl Chaos who in the show – started off as Alexis Armstrong and gradually throughout the show was taking off her wig and gradually morphing into a male character whilst um, Matthew Pope, who has been training with us since he was 12. (laughs) And is currently a mix burlesque 2022. Yes, yes. So exciting and so Mm. well-deserved. So Matthew started off as a male character and then did a trapeze act where they put on shoes and then eventually morphed into a kind of more female character. Mm. And so um, that was representing some of the, 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 the struggles that those two performers personally have experienced. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it was very nice to be able to put that into a show. Yeah, and with these incredible performers that you have just like, who you've had since they were like 12, which is incredible in itself, what are you bringing to us in 2023's Fringe World? Well, we have two very exciting new shows. So one of them is our latest incarnation of Sensuality, Mm. which is our amazing collaboration with Barbecue. Yes, Icon, yep. Barbecue, an icon of the scene and our dream collaborator (laughs) because she's just so professional, so down to earth, so oh, Barbie wonderful. Barbie gets stuff done too. Exactly. Tick boxes, tick boxes. Exactly. Yeah. Barbie is never late. Barbie <laughs> is never unprepared. Barbie has amazing ideas. So Barbie is just a dream to work with. And so we're very proud to be doing our latest incarnation of Sensuality in collaboration with Barbecue. And this year we're going to heaven and hell. Oh, awesome. All right, tell us a little bit about that. So I guess with Sensuality, the the concept is that it's a cabaret show based around the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. So each act represents one of the seven deadly sins and is a little bit of a mini show in itself. Oh, cool. But after doing this for a few years and it was really popular, we decided to challenge ourselves further by adding an extra theme. 
So not only are the acts about the seven deadly sins, but they're also kind of based in this extra theme. So last year we did Make It Rain, which was a bit of a royalty theme. Mm -hmm. And so this year it's going to be Heaven and Hell. So um, you'll be seeing some very exciting acts that are either uh, kind of like the fight between good and evil. Yeah. Um, maybe a classic angel act, you know, a lot of sexy acts, a lot of comedy acts, mm-hmm. all the, I can't give too much away oh, because you have to come and see the show this is to the see teaser. all the things you that need to be we've buying got. tickets. <laughs> exactly. You need to be buying tickets. You have to come and see, um, what we've got in store for you, but it's definitely the show in fringe where every year I think I've got to one up myself. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, last year I did something really huge. How am I going to one-up myself? Um, I did an act in when we did Sensuality Love. So it was a few years ago where I put myself inside a giant human-sized balloon. <laughs> that act has been very hard to beat. Yeah, so I wonder I'm, why. <laughs> it was very entertaining. It was very funny. And so I'm like... How can I beat the giant balloon? That is my struggle every year. Yep. Um, but hopefully I'm going to do it this year. So you have to come and watch. I reckon you are going to do it. This cast, I'm looking at the names of the people in this show right now. And oh my goodness, if there was ever a cast to one up yourself with, it would be these people here. Will you tell us a little bit about the selection of people, the part of sensuality, heaven and hell? Yes, definitely. So pretty much apart from me, everyone has won awards. So it's an award-winning <laughs> cast apart from me. So <laughs> I'm totally oh, fine so with saying good. that. Um, so we have Carl Chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, Carl has been with us since before the beginning of Connecticut. Wow. Um, Carl was in our very first Fringe show in the Ringmaster character. And so we have a very strong connection with Carl Chaos. Um, and... He is just exceptional at everything he does. Dancer, choreographer, producer, burlesque, yeah. circus, everything you could possibly imagine. And so we're very kind of honoured to have Carl as part of the team. And he this year is actually doing a duo act with another incredible performer. So we're very, very excited about this. Um, Ruby Lai, who Ooh, is yes. a very well-known professional pole dancer and mm. showgirl. And so they're cooking up a duo act on the flying pole. Wow. So that's going to be very spectacular. The show's at the Recobite, which means that we get to fly up very high and yeah, swing around. Yeah, you've got a lot of airspace. Yeah, We've got all the airspace, which it, it's really an aerialist dream. So mm. I can't wait to see what they do in that act. And then what's great about that too is that you've got the levels where people stand as well. So you can exactly. really give, honestly, not just buy one ticket, buy a few tickets to different nights and experience it from different angles. Exactly, <laughs> You'll exactly. You'll get a different show, yeah. You'll get a different show. And it's really, really awesome as an aerialist to be performing and you look out and you actually see people on your level Mm, it just changes the whole thing because usually you're used to kind of just being up high in your own space and you can't really connect with the crowd but having the crowd at your level you can really connect in a different way so so it's worth going and experiencing it from different heights yeah it means that there's just no such thing as there being like a bad seat in that, in that space too. Definitely Recobite not. is one of those spaces where if you're doing something that has levels to it, you cannot have a bad spot in that house unless you're literally outside the building. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And every spot you'll see something slightly different. So, so you can't go wrong really. Um, so, yes, I'll talk a bit more about Ruby. So Ruby, she's another award winner. So in 2021, she won um, Miss Pole Dance WA. Mm. 
And so this year she didn't compete in Miss Pole Dance WA because she was the reigning champion, but she is very soon heading off to Sydney to compete in the national competition. Wow, amazing. Um, and so she's, she's uh, really in the top of her field. Um, and then we have Sarah, who is my co-director at Connecticut. So she has been an elite gymnast since she was a very small child. Ah, okay. So that's really interesting, the two very different backgrounds between you both to form Connecticut. It's very cool. Exactly. So I feel like that's one of the main strengths of Connecticut mm. is that we have completely different backgrounds. And so we bring both of our skills and talents together and our experiences to kind of create something that suits everybody. You know, both people who are professionals who have got a gymnastics and dance background, we, <laughs> we can cater to those people, but we can also cater to people who have never done circus, have never done anything physically active before as yeah, well. There will still be something at Connecticut for you. That's awesome. Exactly, exactly. So Sarah is in the cast. She's an amazing contortionist. She can do amazing handstands, acrobatics, kind of mind-bending contortion, mm, yes. mind-bending contortion. Um, I've spent 20 years trying to keep up with her <laughs> in contortion because she's so extremely bendy. That is a good goalpost to have is Sarah, for sure. Exactly. I'm like, I'll never quite achieve it, but I'll just keep trying. I'll keep chasing. <laughs> I'll keep chasing, exactly. And so this year in 2022, she was part of the cast of Carl Chaos's first Fight Club Challenge. Mm. And so that's a new show that Carl has started this year. Yeah. And it's, it's really awesome. And she was the first reigning champion. Oh, amazing. And so we've proven that, uh, you know, contortionists are the, the top of the heap in, when it comes to performers. Mm -hmm. And so she's very excited to be kind of defending that uh, championship as well. Um. So she'll be in the cast. And then, of course, we've got Matthew Pope, who I've mentioned. Yeah, we mentioned the long list of credentials that Matthew holds. It's amazing. Yeah. Exactly. And so Matthew, he has a performance presence that is extremely rare. It's very unique. Mm -hmm. It's something that he has been developing for decades. And it's drawing on his experiences in performance art yeah so he has a degree in conceptual art performance art and he is a maker he makes things and develops concepts obviously with his circus experience and now with also burlesque experience as mm. well so he draws on all of those aspects to his work and brings it all together for sensuality. Definitely um, someone who demands your eye someone else in the cast who demands your eye is obviously Sugar Dujour an incredible performer Oh, Sugar, she is so incredible. She's one of the nicest people to work with. <laughs> no, she, she'll hate you saying that. <laughs> she is so nice. She's so nice. <laughs> she is so nice. Um, but on stage, she is a powerhouse. Yeah. You can't take your eyes off her. She is gorgeous. She is hilarious. Mm -hmm. She has amazing concepts. She has amazing costumes. She's definitely one of my favourite ever burlesque performers ever. Yeah, this is this is a great cast of people. Do we miss anybody on that list? I don't know. Hang on. Um, Barbie we've talked about. We have mentioned the incredible Matthew Pope. We have mentioned Carl Chaos. We've mentioned Ruby La. 
high and Sugar Du Jour. I think that's that's a killer cast. That's a very good lineup. That's it. That's it. So I think that's why Sensuality has been so successful mm. is because we do have such a killer lineup and such diversity in the cast. Um, and so this will be our eighth version of Sensuality. Wow. Um, but we have no intention of stopping because it just keeps getting better yep. and it just keeps growing. <laughs> and we've got a little bit of a cult following because once you come to see the show once, you want to keep coming again. Definitely. And when you're competitive, but you're only competitive with what you most recently did, then the sky's really the limit and you don't have that like toxicity where you're comparing yourself to other companies or other people because it's like, no, we're just one-upping ourselves. Exactly. And the rest doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We're not really going around thinking about anyone else. We're just going around going, how can, you know, we push this further? How can we be more entertaining? Exactly. So so that's our future plans. We've already got plans for what we're going to do in 2024. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and you mentioned briefly your incredible co-director who's also putting on a show at Fringe World 2023. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So that's a show that we're very excited about and I'll be performing in it. Um, it's called Outrageous. So with Outrageous, we, it's, it's very fitting that I've been talking about my circus roots because we really wanted to go back to the roots of circus mm. and explore the different styles of circus and, and the different influences that have come into to our own kind of circus practice. And so with Outrageous, um, we're drawing from traditional circus mm. and the style of traditional circus, but we're aiming to morph that with contemporary circus. Ooh, I love that. And especially since of everything that you said in the first half of this podcast about like just the the slight divide that there still seems to be with performers, this kind of seems like a quite a cathartic experience. Exactly, exactly. So we're hoping that it's a bit of a cathartic experience for all the performers and for people in the circus <laughs> yep. industry in general. Um, and just seeing how I guess we can pay tribute to the traditional circus mm. while also moving forward into the contemporary circus as well, if that's what you want to do. Yeah. Um, and so the name really sets the theme. So mm. it's outrageous. So there will be a lot of very outrageous acts in the show. I know that Sarah, one of her iconic acts is a hand balancing bow and arrow act. Ooh. And so in that act, she does handstands and shoots bows and arrows from her feet. Wow. And so that's an act that is definitely outrageous, will be in the show. We have Catherine Azam, who is a performer who has trained circus with us since Connecticut started. Wow. And she is also a classically trained violinist. Mm. And so she has a very outrageous act, which is playing the violin on a trapeze. And so she does trapeze tricks, trapeze drops and plays violin at the same time. So she will be wow. doing a new version of that act in Outrageous. Um, I know that there's a lot of other plans as well, but I guess I better not give too much away again. No, of course, of course. And Sarah will be taking the helm directing that one. Yes, yes. So Sarah is directing that one and I'm just being her support and helping to produce the show. <laughs> um, and, you know, obviously in Connecticut we kind of do everything together and we support each other, but happy to say that she's taking the helm with that one. Yeah, and you're taking the helm with sensuality by the sounds of it. I do... 
like definitely it's a, a big collaboration with barbecue. Of so course, of so course. barbecue, <laughs> I would see barbecue as being the figurehead of um, <laughs> sensuality. But behind the scenes, I do a lot of the marketing work yep. and kind of other work that needs to be done. This is a really great time to just sort of dive into how uniquely West Australian Connecticut is in general, but specifically like the work that you do with these incredible artists that you've had for for decades since they were teens or even younger than that. Um, Can you talk a little bit on like what you've been finding in Western Australia over the last 20 years in circus? Because you've really got a outstanding array of alumni. Definitely. I think that it's been amazing to see the new circus companies sprouting up. Mm. Um, that's been really great to see because, as I said, you know, 20 years ago there was WA Circus School and WA Circus School is still going mm-hmm. strong, but there wasn't so much a circus presence in WA. Um, definitely I feel like a really strong influence in elevating circus in WA has been Fringe World mm. because it gave us a space and it gave us a venue. It was extremely hard to put on circus shows when there weren't any venues where you could affordably rig circus equipment. Mm. And so that's been a, a huge, huge change for us. Um, definitely we've seen a movement from kind of very slick corporate acts. So I think the biggest scene in circus in WA 20 years ago was in corporate shows. Interesting, yeah. Which we do still do. We do still do performances for balls and different events. But there's been a movement away from that towards people producing shows independently Mm. in independent venues. There's also been a huge cross-fertilisation of ideas with other art forms. Mm. Um, Definitely... Probably the the biggest influence has been burlesque. Yeah. So there's been a lot of crossover between circus and burlesque um, and a lot of co-productions created from that. Uh, more recently, and I feel like Connecticut was a bit of a trailblazer with this in our collaborations with Barbecue. Yeah. Um, a lot more collaborations between drag artists mm, and definitely. circus as well, um, which is really exciting. And also the other huge influence on circus has been pole dancing. Yeah. Because pole dancing has become much bigger. There's a lot more people who do it. And even just in the skills that we perform in circus, there's been a lot of a crossover between what you can do on a pole, what you can do on an aerial apparatus. (laughs) And so the two art forms have really informed each other. Yeah, great. Um, oh my gosh, what an amazing overload uh, of just incredible performers and Western Australian arts just at its absolute peak coming to Fringe World in 2023. Can you just plug absolutely everything, where people can find tickets, where they can find you at this Fringe World extravaganza? Yes. So for Sensuality Heaven and Hell, we're performing at the Recobite. And you can find tickets on fringeworld.com.au and also on Megatix. Ah. So you have two options, two options <laughs> to find tickets to that show. For Outrageous, we're performing in the Aurora Spiegel tent. So it's a really big deluxe Spiegel tent. And for that one, you can find your tickets at fringeworld.com. Fantastic. So you'll find all of the links to buy your tickets in the show notes. And I highly recommend that you get out and support this incredible West Australian foundation company. And, um, your social media handles, are you just at Connecticut across the board everywhere? We're at Connecticut Circus. 
So just to make it clear to everybody that we're actually a circus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a physio. <laughs> yes, not a physio. And as always, everyone, if you like this podcast, like us on social media, rate and subscribe on your favourite podcasting app or send questions to waexposepod at gmail.com and we'll ask our next incredible guest. Thank you, Beck, so much for joining me. Oh, thanks so much. Thank- I had such a great morning. Fantastic. And thank you, everyone, for listening. WA Exposé is an independent production. Our artwork was created by Georgia Sassenfeld and our theme music is Corrosive by Aria Scarlett and M. Burrows. You can find out more about the podcast or live shows at ariascarlett.com forward slash WA Exposé. Hello, this is Beck. Hello. Hello. You'll be adopting a totally different personality. <laughs> Suddenly for the interview, you're just like, hi, hi. Hello, my yes. name is Beck. Exactly, exactly. <laughs>